Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Dana Osman, here with my friend and Chavruta, Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masachet Yuma, daf mem, page 40. So 40 days into Masachet Yuma, and we're really in the thick of a pretty extensive halachic discussion that it started from the previous page about which, when it comes to the goral, is it essential or is it not essential? Um, meaning, is it part of the avoda if it doesn't get done, you know, does it mean the avoda is invalid? Um, or does it have to be done as part of the avoda? Um, and the Gemara basically, in order to prove this, brings different bright toad and then doing a close read of those bright toad tries to make that determination. Some of the other issues that are discussed on this stuff is, you know, whether or not if the goral, if the lottery is done out of order, could that make a difference? If the application of blood of the par versus the sa'ir is done out of order, does that make a difference? And again, I think the part of what we're trying to figure out here is how detailed does the avoda need to be? In other words, we know what the elements are of what needs to happen during the day, but trying to parse out what's essential. In other words, if you didn't do it, it's like you didn't actually do what you needed to get done during Yom Kippur, or is it not so much action or is it order that actually matters? Um, and these are some of the issues that the Gemara is trying to explore here. Um, and where they land is this machlokas between Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Yehuda. And one of the elements that they speak about here is that according to Rabbi Shimon, the vidui piece that has to be done, you know, over the par is basically essential. You have to say vidui. Sorry, over the the uh, the uh, the goat that you're going to give us chatas. That is essential. And according to Rabbi Yehuda, um, it's not. And again, there are different bright that they prove uh, to you know how we we learn each of those positions. Um, but I want to go through exactly what exactly is that dispute over. Um, because it's kind of interesting to think about that according to Rabbi Yehuda, the vidui would not be essential, right? We think of Yom Kippur as the vidui being the most essential part. And again, that's because we don't have any of the korbanos or the avod of the Beit HaMikdash to do. But to see that there actually was a Tanaitic opinion that maybe you didn't need the actual vidui of words uh, was was interesting to me. And so the Gemara basically asks, and this is an Ahmed Bet, uh, right? What is it that they're disagreeing about, Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Yehuda? Kitatanya. So they're going to quote a Brisa here to explain their disagreement. right? So we have a pasuk here from Bayikra, uh, chapter 16, um, verse 10. Um, and um, it says, you know, basically that the 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 goat that's going to be sent to Azazel, right? The Gemara talked before, it has to be alive to Lechaper. To um to write it says Yamod Chai Lifne Hashem Lichaper Alav. It has to stand alive before Hashem to atone on it. The Kaparat Damim Hakatu Midaber. So the question is when it says that it's alive, right? One opinion is going to say that this kapara is not accomplished until what? Until the until the blood, right, is actually uh, until the, the blood of the other goat is actually placed on the Mizbeach, not the Azazel one, but the one that's going to be given as a Chatas. Once that blood is put on the Mizbeach, right, then that Kapara of the Azazel one is uh, is going to be good. The Chain Huomer, right? The Chala Mechaper Etakodash, right? Because how do we learn this? 
because later on we have in the same parak in, in chapter 16 of Vayikra, verse uh, 20, right? There it says, right, uh, when he finished the kapara for the sanctuary. Malahalan bekaparat, I mean, there in that case, right, the kapara there has to be done. We're talking about kapara that's done uh, with the blood that the Kohen Gadol does when he applies the blood of the par, of the bull, um, and also of the, um, of, the, of the other goat that was slaughtered in the Kaddish Kedoshim and in the Heichal itself. And so from the context of that pasuk, the kapara has to be one that's done with blood. So avkan bekapara tamim. So here too, even though it's in an earlier pasuk, when we have the word, you know, lichpor again, it also has to be done with blood. Dibrei Rabbi Yehuda. And that's what Rabbi Yehuda says. So according to Rabbi Yehuda, with the avoda, and again, this is based on a reading of the psukim, it's the blood application that gives the kapara, it's not the vidui, right? Rabbi Shimon Omer, Rabbi Shimon has a different read, and he's sensitive to the fact that it says lechaper alav, right? Uh, that it atones, or you get kapara upon it. What is it talking about there? There it has to be referring to specifically not the kaparat dam, right? But a love would seem to mean that it's the kapara of that particular of the of the azazel itself. And so it has to be the vidui uh, that's done uh, that's done on it. Um, and you know, I, I think it's interesting to see that this machlokas it's not actually based on a theoretical, right? Like it's not making a judgment of is the blood what's important or is it the vidui that's important? It's actually based on how you read those psukim and how you actually interpret them. And I think that's an important point, you know, especially when we're dealing with the avoda of Yom Kippur, I certainly, my inclination, this may not be everybody who's learning this masachet, is I think to try to find something philosophical in what's going on with the avoda, But this Brysa here was a good reminder to me that I'm not sure that always the, any of these machlokot are always a philosophical underpinning of what's the most important part of kapara. How do we taint atonement? Is it through the blood application? Is it through the verbal vidoy? Instead, I think you really could read this Brysa and just say, okay, Rabbi Yudu and Rabbi Shimon, it's really just a machlokas over what's the correct read of those psukim. And then that's where you're going to get to what's essential or not essential. But I actually think I'm taking a step back. It may not be saying anything like philosophical or meta here. It's just really how you're going to interpret those psukim. So I find it interesting. Somewhere earlier on, your Danny, you said something about you know how we relate to the vidui as the essential part of Yom Kippur, and how could it be that this is not an essential part? That the vidui would not be an essential part of these particular the goats, right? And I'm thinking that. The, the nature of the day, the way we experience Yom Kippur, to make sure that we have done what we need to do. That was your, your expression, right? That you've done what you need to do in Yom Kippur. So they, the Kohen Gadol there and, and all the Kohenim who are involved, they have a lot to do in terms of making sure that they get all of these details right. And I imagine that, you know, maybe they'd rather be on vacation, except for that it's really a very highly, you know, spiritual day and everything like that. So I feel like they, they had to do their jobs, and if their jobs got done, then they did what they needed to do in Yom Kippur. Except for that, the way we relate to Yom Kippur, you know, I always feel, on the one hand, it's a very intense day. I, and then you come to the end of it, and you we don't have this kind of concrete 
Okay, did you send your goat out to the wilderness type of thing, right? The idea of standing in shul and fasting and davening and and confessing, right? That's the vidui, is much more, um, I don't want to say it's abstract because I don't find the experience abstract, but in terms of, you know, a checklist, okay, yes, I now have, you know, atoned for my sins. I don't know that we ever feel that we can quite get there. And then as I realized, I realized, that it's not so, it wasn't so simple for them either, because the question of whether the string would turn white and whether the coin gutter would survive the day, right, means that a whole lot was going on that isn't simply a matter of going through the very specific actions of the korbanot. So I've now kind of walked back what I wanted to say, but I, I think that the distinction in our experiences is still, you know, very on target, if I do say so. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And, and again, I think what I'm got an appreciation for from the last few dapim in this stop, which seems very bogged in detail is, um, you know, it, it's kind of practical. There really isn't a discussion about philosophically what's happening or how you feel about it. And I think I'm appreciating what a modern read I'm bringing to, or I'm trying to bring to some of these dapim. Right. I hear that. Okay. So I want to touch on the, um, the bit of the Gemara that immediately follows where you had been reading on Amabet about um, the machloket here between Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Yehuda. So we've got a new section, right? It's not really connected. It just happens to be immediately thereafter on the daf. Tashma, shalut talmidav et Rabbi Akiva. So Rabbi Akiva's students came and they asked him, the, you'll recall, of course, that the we discussed it from the Mishnah, we discussed the lots from yesterday with um, when the Kohen Gadol would choose lots from the receptacle from the kalpi, from where they are, you know, randomized, let's say, right? So then the question is, you know, which lot goes to which hand? And the question here is, well, what would happen, Allah bismol, if the if the lot that has Lashem, the two that the goat would go to God, is in comes to the left hand, right? Then the question, the question that they're asking him, the students are asking, amin, could you transfer that lot from your left hand? Could he transfer it from his left hand to his right hand? And he says to them, Rabbi Kiva says to them, a very interesting response, I believe. Amar lahen, al makom laminim lirdot. He says, do not give heretics, do not give the heretics an opportunity or room to, to come down, to dominate the discussion. Meaning the, the suggestion there is that if the Kohen Gadol were allowed to switch hands, then... Um, then the heretics would be able to say, see, the halacha doesn't really, you know, do all that you're claiming that it's going to do in terms of showing the will of Hashem. Rather, you know, the Kohen Gadol could just switch his hands and then that's it, right? The, the, the Chazal themselves can change things around as they want because it was in his left hand and now Chazal say, oh, it could go to his right hand. So I find this to be an interesting response from Rabbi Kiva to the students, meaning the answer is no, no, he cannot do that. He cannot switch hands. And why not? It, and this is what I think is so remarkable. It's not because there's actually something wrong in him switching hands from left to right in terms of the avoda itself, but rather it just will look bad in terms of a Torah true lifestyle or something from Chazal, and it will give meaning heretics the opportunity to come and cast aspersions on the halachic process but in terms of the actual avoda theoretically at least from this you know from ruby kiva's point here theoretically he could switch hands so the gemara ex- tries to explain this you know a bit tama this is the reason the ruby kiva 
you know, says to not give, to not do this. The alti numa koma the tzedukim lirdot. He says that he should not give room to the tzedukim, the Sadducees, to lirdot, to to come down, to dominate over this discussion. Halav hachi madrinanle. Because if it were not for this reason, then you would be allowed to transfer the lot, as we've just said. But one second, if we've said that the drawing the lots is indispensable to the avod itself, meaning it's an integral part of the avod itself, then how can you say that he could switch hands? Right, that's the implication. You know, if it if the lot comes to his hand, then that is the sacrosanct um, edict or verdict of the of the lot itself. How could you say that he could switch hands? On the one hand, you know, we have, pardon me, I did not mean the pun. Um, on the one hand, we have the Rabbi Kiva's uh, serious concern that, that the Kohen God will not do this. And very clearly stated in the exp- explicit in the Gemara is the fact that this is not, um, his rationale is not about the Avoda, but about what it will look like and how it will open up the opportunity to malign the halachic system. Now, we have a distinction between those for two statements by in the Gemara. The first one it says minim, minim meaning heretics, right? A min is somebody who is. It's not a defined kind of heresy necessarily. It's more of a catch-all phrase for anybody who's a, a heretic. But then the second bit talks about tzedukim, tzedukim, which is the Sadducees, meaning specifically the class of people who lived at the time, really at the time of Rabbi Kiva, in contrast to the Prushim, the the Pharisees who really became the progenitors in a way of rabbinic Judaism. So the question here is then, you know, what's the concern? Are we concerned about heretics? Are we concerned about Tzedukim? There are certainly times in history where they were very concerned about, you know, desirous of keeping the Tzedukim out. So we should note that there were versions of the Gemara, meaning of the actual text, that were censored. And in the places where it was censored, the word min, minim, was replaced with the word tzedukim, because apparently by the time that they were doing this censorship, uh, it was an easier heresy, let's say, to have the tzedukim there, because they must have already been past their prime, as, a, as compared to meaning this general statement, which means that you know anybody you could call a heretic, you could call a heretic. Um, and we have um, the idea here is, you know, especially, especially if we're talking about, we can't lose sight of the context. We're going to talk about a seer la Hashem, a goat that is going to Hashem, and seer la Azazel, and a goat that is going to Azazel. Azazel, again, it might mean the wilderness, it might mean a specific place in the wilderness, or it might carry implications for some counter power, so to speak, whatever that might mean, you know, still under God's authority. But if you are a mean, if you are some kind of heretic, and not because you're a Sadducee, who focuses on the plain text of the Torah as opposed to rabbinic interpretation, but a mean like a, her- a heretic who does not believe in Torah at all, maybe even a non-Jew, right? Then in that case, then you have a situation of a risk of the of this heretic seeing what looks like um, worship of two powers, right? Lashem and Lazazel. And I would say, well, yes, that's exactly what it looks like. So the fact that there's concern in the Gemara and concern by Rebbe Kiva to make sure that this does not look like what it does look like, I find to be very interesting. Um, well, once again, we see the Tzedukim and, you know, always seems to be sort of a theme when it comes particularly to, to the Avodah of Yom Kippur. 
there's a real fear about it. And we see it again in this story. That is true. Um, and again, it's generational, right? There are different times when there would be a concern about Tzidukim and there'd be concern about other people. Like, I wonder if at some point, Chazal, in putting the Gemara together, were more concerned about the Zoroastrians in Bavel, right? Meaning, because that was their their heretics, you know? Right. I think every generation sort of has the heretic or the model heretic uh, that they are concerned of. And yes, I would agree that I think in Bavel it was different than what it was in the time of Rabbi Akiva. Well, that's our top discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this staff on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. Music.